0: Tonight we're going to be looking again at Belgic Confession Article 1, continue our study of God and His being, particularly that of His goodness, and we're going to be looking at Exodus 33, to turn in your Bibles, Exodus 33, 33, page 73, there in the Bibles in front of you. Going to be building up to that, we're not going to get there right away, I want to look a bit at the back story of God and His goodness, that being the foundation of His salvation. This morning we heard about that. We heard about how God saves His people by sending His only Son, that those who believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life, that in Him there is life forevermore. We want to look at that attribute of goodness tonight, though there are many before that in the first article of Belgic Confession I've selected, I've chosen to look at that one at the end. It's impossible, you remember, to separate God into parts. We talk about the simplicity of God, that he's not made up of parts. So, As we look at God's goodness this evening, let us keep in mind that we're not saying that God is only good or more good than just or more good than merciful or more good than some other attribute. We're simply trying to understand him, to look at all of his, uh, of his being and to do so in a, in a, uh, a more... Bite-sized approach, if you will, in a way that we can handle it. We're simply looking at his goodness tonight that we might see in this another aspect of his glory and find comfort there. You may not be surprised that we turn back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 is where the Lord reveals himself to his people And last week we read there in in Exodus 3 that God is speaking to Moses out of that burning bush, and he says, when the people ask, who am I? This is what you're to say to them. I am who I am. A God who is being, who is. There is no, he is not contingent on anything or anyone. He is pure being. And God promises to bring his people out of their self-inflicted bondage, and what we see as we look at that story, and I want to do that rather rapidly tonight, but look at that tonight, we're going to see that he doesn't deliver his people because of their goodness. <laughs> he delivers his people because he is good. He is faithful. The book of Genesis surveys, among other things, the spread of the family of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those patriarchs, and what we see there is an imperfect family. We see uh, these families having their quarrels among themselves. One One of the figures I want to think about just for a few moments with you is that one son of Jacob, the one who was sold into Egyptian bondage by his brothers. Sons of Jacob offer up their brother, selling him into slavery, hoping that he would be forgotten there and eventually die there. What children does, is Joseph forgotten in Egypt? Is he forgotten as his brothers hoped? He's not, is he? The Lord protects him and he has a plan for this son. He sent him ahead to be the savior of his people who would have died in the land because of that famine that came. Joseph goes through lengthy suffering, ends up second in command in Egypt, and he acts wisely when he's asked, what do we do? You interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. What's coming? Well, there's going to be a great abundance, but then there's going to be an unbelievable and never-before-seen famine. You need to store up food because there's a famine coming. So Pharaoh tells them, do whatever Joseph tells you to do, and Lo and behold, his brothers come before him and they learn that he is second in command. They go back to their father. They're brought to the land of Goshen. Jacob dies and the brothers are terrified. Now what will Joseph do to us? He's certainly going to take revenge. And Joseph says in Genesis 50, Do not fear retribution for what you did to me. I am not in a place of God You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, saving many people by putting me here and giving me this role of service. Do not fear, I will provide for you. Genesis 50, verses 20 and 21. Well, the people thrive numerically in Egypt, though spiritually they're compromised. They worship the many gods of Egypt, and they're a motley crew, we could say. They're oppressed. By a Pharaoh who comes, who rises to power, we did not know Joseph, we see at the beginning of Exodus, and he cried out to God, Exodus chapter 2, and the Lord remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, faithful to his covenant, and in goodness, he shows concern to them, Exodus 2.25, he sees what his people are going through, and he's concerned for them, the NIV puts it. Later in Israel's history, as we look ahead, God was also looking for one to deliver his people. And what does he say there And through the prophet Isaiah? He says, I looked. I looked for someone good to deliver my people, yet there was no one. So I, out of my right hand, my hand of power, I delivered my people. My hand of power, and we would say my hand of goodness. People undeserving, and yet God is good. He works salvation for himself. Well, this is nothing new, that there is not a good man to be found. God could not find anyone righteous in Israel. So it was in the Egyptian bondage. What was Moses like, children? Was he just this perfect little angel? He wasn't, was he? He was rescued from Pharaoh's evil edict to destroy all the Hebrew babies. But as he grew, he, he grew to be a man who was a strong man and a defender, and yet he was also, we find in Exodus 2, a murderer. One who murdered an Egyptian for mistreating a Hebrew brother. And he fled into the wilderness for for 40 years. And God came to him there, and he used this imperfect man. And we have to recognize that that's the only kind of person God can use, because it's the only kind there are. Imperfect people. Sinners. It is God's goodness that brings about the plan of redemption. No man could bring it about. And so he wants to use imperfect people like us in his service. He chooses to do that, and he wants us to grow to become more like him, free from sin, live in holiness, and in that attribute that we share in his goodness. We'll see that tonight as we work our way through these passages. Exodus chapter 3, God reveals Himself to Moses. He reveals His plan to Him. He says this in Exodus 3 I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place. Of the Canaanites. What's the foundation of that? It's God's good pleasure that he will deliver his people for himself. That's the attribute we consider tonight. Moses had brought these people out and some years later, some time later rather we could say, we come to Exodus chapter 33, the people were grumbling, complaining, disobedient and idolatrous lot. Moses did not know how in the world they could possibly be delivered, for they needed to be delivered from themselves. Look at what it says there in Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. We'll read to verse 23. This is the word of God. Moses said to the Lord, "'See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight.'" Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You see the connection between God and his people, the goodness of God, that alone, bringing about that designation, the redeemed people of God? Continuing in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, please. Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and i will cover you with my hand until i have passed by then i will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen this is the word of god may it his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this evening the lord delivers because of his goodness people of god that is his declaration I will make all my goodness pass before you, verse 19. That's what we think about tonight. We'll be looking at a lot of passages tonight. I hope your fingers are limber as we look at various texts. But we introduced this idea. R.C. Sproul was once asked, what is the greatest need of people in the world? And he responded, people in the world need to know who God is. And the questioner went on to ask, well, what about the people in the church? What do they need to know? And he responded, people in the church need to know who God is. That's their greatest need, the greatest need of all of us. We need to know who He is. We need to know how to be related to Him. That's the greatest need of every individual, of every person. No matter who a person is, whether he's inside or outside of the church, his most basic need is to know God. As I thought about this series of sermons, I wondered what resources would helpful for such a series, so while I was at Ligonier Conference, I asked some of the speakers what they would recommend. I asked Dr. Lawson, I said, what, what would you recommend? And he said, well, the Bible, as every good preacher would do. And then he said, and my book, Show Me Your Glory. And he had a quote in there as I bought his book dutifully and I began to read it. And this is a quote I think is, that's very helpful for us. He says, quote, the most important aspect of who we are is what comes into our minds when we think about God. That's the most important aspect of who we are. What comes into our minds when we think about God? He goes on, the trajectory of our lives is directed by our understanding of God. Our eternal destiny hinges on our relationship to him and who we believe he is. Everything in an individual's life is affected by his knowledge of God. Pretty foundational. He emphasizes the otherness of God, as we heard about last week. It's the otherness of God that highlights the glory of God. He cannot be compared to us. He's not simply a better us, human 2.0 or 3.0 or some such iteration. No, he is altogether other. He is. As I said last week, human being is perhaps not the best Way to describe us, although that's what we say. We're being, and yet we become. When God says, Let there be life. And when He does that in each of our existence, He creates us. We're created. We're humans. We're those becoming. And God says, I want you to become like me, for I've made you in my image. God's glory is consists not only in his self-existence, that perhaps is his preeminent glory, but there's more. The goodness of God, Steve Lawson writes, is at the epicenter of his divine glory. The goodness of God is at the epicenter of his divine glory. David says it this way, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's he talking about? He's talking about God. God, goodness personified, or we can't use that term, can we? Goodness in being, in perfection. Will go with us all our lives. For God is and never dies. When Moses asks God to show him his glory, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim to you my name, the Lord. This is a faithful and true statement. God is good. What does that mean? Well, more than we can cover in one sermon, but, in, but here we go in part. There's no evil in him, first off, we can say. There's no evil in God. John uses the image of light and dark. He says, in God there is no darkness. God is light. David recounts, God is upright. He's good and upright. Psalm, 20, Psalm 25, verse 8 he cannot lead astray, he cannot be tempted by evil, for evil is lack of goodness. His revelation is good. There's no evil in it. His law is good. It's good to have God's law. Let me read some passages. Psalm 119, verse 130, says this The unfolding of your words gives light, helps us see. That is good, so that we don't lose our way. It imparts understanding to the simple. Proverbs 6:23 says this for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light the reproofs of discipline are the way of life there is no evil in any of it his commands bring wisdom and understanding when he's speaking to the people as they prepare to enter the land, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 6, he speaks of how they ought to keep his commands, for they are good. Listen to this Deuteronomy 4 verse 6 Keep the commands that I've given to you, do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, in the sight of the nations, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. They are good, they give wisdom and understanding. Nehemiah 9 verse 13 Ezra Nehemiah Esther Job there in the Old Testament Nehemiah 9:13 they read the law of God and they stand and this is the word that comes you came down o lord on mount sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws good statutes and commandments God's word is good Secondly he's a giver of good gifts James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. He has good plans for his people. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven Plans to prosper and not to harm, to give hope and a future. Psalm 145 speaks of God's goodness. Psalm 145, verse nine says this, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He's a giver of good gifts. He's the storehouse of all good. Thirdly, for those who love him, Psalm 31.19. Psalm 31.19 says, speaks of that provision that he has, that he gives. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Psalm 31.19. The one who trusts in him will know the good path. Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good to all who trust in him. He will not withhold any good thing from his people. Psalm 84, verse 11, that goodness that he will give and not withhold. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Storehouse of all good. Fourth, he punishes wickedness and will put an end to the pomp and circumstance, or his pomp and success, rather, of the wicked. That's what it says. God is good to eliminate wickedness. Listen to Isaiah 13 and verse 11. Isaiah thirteen eleven. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Proverbs 11:21. In Proverbs 11:21, it speaks of that bringing of an end to wickedness. Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished. But the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. This is the goodness of the Lord. It's not a get-even judgment. It's a just judgment against wickedness. For there is no place for wickedness and evil in his kingdom. There will be no existence of evil, of wickedness in his kingdom. It will be destroyed. What is the success of man? What is the prosperity of man? It is this. To obey the commands of God, Joshua says, as the people are entering the land, Joshua 1, verse 8. That's the goodness that we pursue, command of the Lord. Well, fifthly, he rewards the righteous. Psalm 58, verse 11 says, Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Psalm 18, verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me. We see in this psalm and in this reference to the reward of righteousness that it refers to those who are in Christ for Christ is the one who receives the reward of God for his righteousness and that which is given to us graciously by God. Not meritorious but gracious reward as God unites us to Christ by faith. Sixth, he's, God is, sixth, God is good. We could use the word gracious. He's good to work new life in dead man, creating faith in Christ that those who are united to him might know everlasting life. I was thinking about come thou fount of every blessing this week and those words came into my mind and then the the old Psalter, they read this way, oh to grace how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. In this, in the new hymnal, it reads, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. There's, to thee. There's that connection of his goodness and his grace. They're bound together. His grace is good. It's good to work faith and to bring us into his family. Oh, there's so much more we could say about God and his goodness. I want to, in this last point, speak of how we share in the attribute of goodness. We're made in the image of God. Part of that image means that we are those who need to make judgments between good and evil, right and wrong. Sin has destroyed the ability for us to choose the right, to do the right, God, by his mercy, makes us alive so that we might live in newness of life, as we heard this morning. But that is necessary, isn't it, for God to regenerate. The unregenerate will make judgments as well. Talked about that a little bit this morning, a reference to that. They talk about values. But what they're doing is they're saying, this is good to me. I value this. This is right. We need to remember and not forget that the standard by which we measure things is God and His Word. That's the standard. By what standard do you declare this good? By what standard do you declare this evil? The only good standard is God and His Word. God is good. We therefore learn about Him. We learn from Him. He's good and what He says is good. To grow in goodness, we must, we must do what He says. Prophet Micah gives those words, doesn't he? He says, you have learned, O people of God, what is right, what is good. He lays out command to them as they were acting unjustly to do mercy, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the good. That's the path that God says is good. And he says, I have made all things. I define good. I am good. Hear then this word. His work of redemption draws people to himself. He says through his prophet Jeremiah that his work is to lead his people to be satisfied with his goodness, Jeremiah 31, 14. That's what he's working in you. That's what he's working in me. Satisfaction in him that we might look nowhere else, but learn that all goodness is found in him and defined by him. So a growing knowledge of God and of his perfect goodness enables you to live with Enlarged faith in a tumultuous world. Through the storms of life, the only way that you'll be anchored in this turbulent world is by fixing your eye upon the Lord. That immovable standard of good. To look there for the definition of what is good in a, in a day when, when that word good is constant, the definition of that word good is constantly changing. It bears repeating, we must have a greater understanding of who God is, of how he acts, of how he speaks, so that we might not lose sight of what truly is good. Maybe I can put it in a number of points. First, we are for humanity as God is. That's good. We're for humanity. And that has then an extension to be for Humanity means that we proclaim the glories of Christ, for he is the hope of the world. That is good. We must speak of that truth. Stand against sin in word and deed and to proclaim repentance and faith is good, for sin destroys. But Christ saves. We proclaim Christ as Lord, for all must understand that he has won the victory over sin and death and hell and that obedience to him is good. Well, let me close by coming back to God's interaction with Moses. If we do not think deeply about God and his being, it's possible to come to the conclusion that he's this power, this passionless power uh, over the universe. He has no interaction with us, but his goodness is this, he's made us to have relationship, to have fellowship with him. Made us To be in connection with him. God is good, the overflowing source of good, of all good, as our confession puts it. He delivers and will continue to deliver people out of their bondage to sin, as Exodus 225 says. This is the heart of God. He sees his people and he is concerned for them. It doesn't mean he doesn't, doesn't notice that they do wrong. It's not like he just says, Well, I don't, I don't notice any of their of their sin. Or indeed, he sent his son to die that that sin might be taken away. That is the heart of his, the depth of his love. His justice is satisfied in his provision. His right hand has worked salvation for him that he might bring you near. He's given every good thing to sinners for deliverance from sin to make us more what he intends us to be if we but submit to this good God and to his good word. This, in part, dear people of God, is the goodness of God. May we give him all glory and honor. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, showing us who you are, that in your glory there is that effulgent, that that wondrous good that pours forth from you. that you judge our sin and your son and call us then to come to you humbly, to walk humbly with you, to speak of you to those around us that others might know that there is a God who rules over all, a personal God, not just fate, chance, some other impersonal force, but a God who is, to whom we will answer, and you are good. You are for us, showing us in the sinning of your only Son to die that we might see Him here on earth in our flesh bearing that punishment that we deserved, looking upon Him in faith that we might then be brought into relationship with you. Father, we thank you for your goodness which wraps up so many other of your attributes. May we want to bring honor and glory to you by speaking of you rightly, of understanding you insofar as we are able and telling others of who you are that you might receive the honor and glory that you are deserving of. Hear us, O Lord, we pray as we go into this new week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.